Welcome to the Big Data Perspective. You may hear about it being overhyped. Big data is still big news. Today we're talking with Jack Norris, MapR's Senior Vice President of Data and Applications, about what's happening in the Spark versus Hadoop space, the future of big data. We're brushed with Datamir, and this is the Big Data Perspective. Jack, first of all, thank you for joining us. It's been a little while since we talked. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you. Really happy to be here. We've we've known each other for a while, um, and we've usually had the the chance to kind of talk about the industry in general um, in different capacities, I guess. So here's here's one more capacity, um, and as we're kind of looking looking ahead to the the balance of 2017, we were just hoping to get your take on a few different things. The first of those, maybe I'll start with something that maybe a year ago would have been super super controversial, but it's still it's still pretty important now, even if it's not quite the shock value. But um, IBM and their new Watson data platform is uh, is an interesting thing in the big data space because it's not based on Hadoop, rather it's it's based on Spark and. Uh, knowing that MapR uh, is kind of uh, invested in both platforms, wondering what you think all of this says about Spark versus Hadoop and whether that is a real debate or if that's a red herring or and if it is a debate, you know, which which side's winning? <laughs> well, I, you know, that's a, it, it's, it's a really interesting question. I'm, I'm glad we're starting here. Um, I think the, the the market is starting to become much more um, intelligent about these big data technologies and approaching them. And there's a lot uh, written about Spark versus Hadoop, and you know Spark is um, you know provides a lot of ease of use for the developers, and you know handles streaming analytics really well, and Hadoop you know continues to be uh, the preferred solution if you've got you know incredibly large workloads that that go beyond the memory capacity of your cluster and there's there's some um, you know different perspectives I think the biggest issue with this Hadoop versus uh, spark perspective however is to is to look at at big data in terms of two layers in terms of the compute and in terms of the the underlying data layer um, and when you when you look at that perspective, it's a really interesting comparison because you've got the the Hadoop distributed file system on one side, which is a batch write once data layer, and you've got Spark, which has no persistent data layer. And the the reason that that we're so interested in it from from AppR is what we're seeing is the need for a real scale out real-time enterprise-grade data layer that can take and handle multiple workloads, multiple machine learning, um, NoSQL, you know, deep file analytic uh, processes that are brought on top of it, not only to support a broad set of applications, but to do that in a way that you can do operations and analytics together, because it's ultimately how do you impact the business? How do you how do you bring the intelligence and the 
um, insight of data to bear in these these business functions. And I think um, you know whether it's uh, whether it's from a Spark perspective or a Hadoop perspective, that's ultimately what organizations uh, are looking to do. Yeah, I, I, I like your take, and I, I, I don't know if you said it explicitly, but it definitely seems like all these, all these different um, open source projects and, and some, of the, some of the more commercial technologies that are layered on top of them, you know, they tend to work together pretty cooperatively. And uh, as a, as a part-time member of the press myself, I think I can, I can stipulate that sometimes the press likes to make things into a competition where, you know, ultimately it may end up being a, a, teaming, a teaming up. Um, maybe along those lines I could segue into the next question, not uh, quoting a journalist but quoting a research firm, Constellation Research specifically is estimating that by 2020, which isn't that far away now, at least 60% of the data that organizations consider to be quote-unquote mission critical will live outside the four walls of the enterprise. Uh, what do you think this means for big data in the enterprise? And since you just mentioned before um, the notion of having analytics workloads and operational ones side by side, if you if you think that adds a, a dimension to this answer, by by all means, feel free to include that as well. Yeah, uh, well, I think I think it's spot on. I think you know, 60% might even be low, right? If you look at increasingly the importance of of IoT data, uh, you know, machine generated information and sensors and social media and all all the sort of of data that goes into better understanding and impacting the customer experience you know, driving a more efficient product and, and service delivery uh, and, and better understanding and mitigating uh, risk and, and security exposures. That requires data from a host of a different uh, sources and being able to harness those effectively. And so, you know, we tend to talk about big data and marvel at it. Um, after it's been collected and look at the volume and the variety that's there. And the reality is it's created one event at a time. So you have to have um, a capability that, that addresses the data at that moment of creation and collection and, you know, handle analytics and, and the kind of processing of that data across a distributed basis. So it's not a question if it's on-premise in your four walls, whether it's done in the cloud, whether it's done at the device level, the answer it needs to be done on a coordinated basis across all of those. And so when we talk about convergence, it's with this eye toward this distributed capability, this inner cloud uh, processing that includes uh, on-premise. And we've got customers today that, that are approaching that. And I think, you know, by 2020, I've also seen data that says 90% of the data will be held in next-gen applications. So if you look at, at just, you know, the, the short four, almost three years uh, to go in terms of 2020, organizations should be well on their way to handling this, this distributed processing and to being able to take advantage uh, of it with, with next-gen technologies. And it's also about a collapsing. We tend to look at 
separate technologies and you need to bring all of that together so that there's a blurring of the lines between a file operation and a database operation and a streaming operation because when you're looking at at operating in that short window of time it's it's got to have kind of the intelligence and the benefit of of a broad range of processing um, as part of that whether you're trying to determine what product to, to recommend during a web page loading or whether this is a, a fraudulent transaction as the credit card's being swiped. Yeah, you're, uh, you're doing what I thought you might do, which is that you'd have, you'd have an answer to one question that would, that would tempt me to like drill down on just that one for half an hour. Um, we'll, have to in, we'll have to invite you back to do that, but what, what I will kind of take away from what you're saying is that, you know, data is not this thing unto itself. It is, it is a series of, of serialized recordings of, of business where it happens, of phenomena where they happen. And so it literally is everywhere unless you've got a very kind of old-fashioned, boring business where everything happens in a very, very controlled environment and doesn't sprawl at all. So that, that kind of variety and that, um, that need to, to, well, to use your word, converge, uh, I, although I changed your noun into a verb, but the, the, the necessity to kind of coalesce all of that seems to be you know, maybe, maybe the most important part of it. And it, it sounds like that's what we're, what we're getting at there. Um, and that too, I think is a good segue into a subsequent question. And this is about the, the pervasiveness of big data in a growing number of industries and maybe even industries that we don't think of as first and foremost as technological, like agriculture, um, or manufacturing insurance, probably we do, but I'll bring that one up as well. And as more, as more industries are adopting big data um, and analytics, really, this is a little bit of an ambiguous question, and I'll admit that this is somewhat intentional, but how do you think this might shift the job landscape? There's a couple different ways you can interpret that, and I mean, if you want some prescriptive advice, I'll help you there, but I'd rather leave it open to, to your interpretation. Well, this is, you know, what, what this is getting to is that we are in the middle of, I think, one of the biggest shifts in the data center, a huge paradigm shift in terms of how we, how we look at big data. I'm, I'm glad this whole industry is labeled you know, big data and not a technology. I think early on we tended to focus on a single technology as the proxy for big data, but the reality is this is shifting how we, we look at data, how we treat data, even how we start with data. It's not about the application dictating how the data should be stored and, and, and you know, placed into a specific cube or schema. This is much broader. And, you know, in terms of, you know, how does this affect different industries, it's, it's game-changing. It's a huge, huge shift. And I think for some it's very daunting, right? As more and more intelligence gets built into the process, what is the role of, of the typical worker? What is the role of, of kind of the middle manager? And I think, you know, with some there's a lot of trepidation there. I think it's similar to other major revolutions. I mean, if you look at the industrial revolution, I think there was a lot of trepidation on the part of farm workers. What does this mean? Um, and you looking back, it was, you know, 
a huge driver of 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 wealth, of of additional leisure time, of just you know, very transformational. I think this is similar. If you if you're looking at existing jobs, and you say, "Wow, there's a lot of trepidation there because it's going to change everything," you know, yes. But I think you know, looking back, we're going to look back and say, "How did we do things without you know this this leverage of of data and this you know very fast." intelligent response that's built in in a myriad of, of ways. So I think from a from a jobs and from a worker standpoint, um, it's going to change things. I think it requires a, a big shift in our focus on how we think about data, how we learn, um, even the education process. Uh, we've, we've invested heavily in free on-demand training to try to get people to, to you know, understand this technology. Um, but I think it's got far-reaching changes. And look in our own lifetime, there's, there's no longer a big premium on retention and knowledge buildup. There's much more of a premium on can you search effectively and can you pull data from multiple sources and can you determine what's, what's a good source of data and what's a bad source of data or what's, what's real news and what's fake news. I mean, you know, ultimately, that's a data problem too. So, you know, this question alone is probably a topic we could go on for uh, totally. for hours. Um, I, I, but I, I don't mentioned... underestimate the impact of data. I guess is the yeah. No, I, I I certainly agree. You mentioned you mentioned retention, and I wasn't sure if you meant of personnel or or of data. And now I'm thinking. Well, maybe that's not even that important a question because it it really kind of applies. Um, perhaps to both, um, but I remember, you know, when I when I kind of started my career, going back to the stone ages of the late 80s, even, you know, back then we were talking about paperless offices and office automation, and there was a huge amount of trepidation then that there would be scores of job losses. Um, yeah. That yeah. didn't happen. That didn't happen. It just we ended up keeping everyone employed. We just had them doing different stuff, and ultimately getting more done. There's there's definitely I would say more uh, uh, pessimism this time about what technology may do to certain job holders. And maybe I'm naive, but I I tend to think that the same the same trepidation and 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 then silver lining will. Uh, that that same kind of equation will will play out this time as well. Well, I, I I will say I think the people listening to you know listening to this and that are in our industry are in a an excellent position and probably probably in a better position than than many others um, in, in the economy because it will be a it will be a big shift. I think ultimately, you know, if we can if we can factor stuff out of procedures and make them automated, we will. But then, that that leads, you know, that leads to more stuff that we can do that we couldn't even approach before that will tend to require human action and human involvement. Um, again, maybe I'm naive, but um, I tend to be optimistic that way. Um, all right, those were pretty grandiose questions. Uh, the next one, honestly, is a little bit. Um, you know, a little bit smaller in scope, but um, I think it's important, especially as we're having this conversation with you. Obviously, MapR has been 
well known for really fusing uh, open source technology and its own commercial innovations. And, um, you know, you it, clearly you guys have strong respect for both sides and, and probably even more so for, you know, the way that greater power can be emancipated if you put them together. But sticking yeah. on the open source side, uh, what is, is, there a, is there an open source technology or project that's relatively recent that you're especially excited about? And uh, whether, whether you guys are involved in it or not, and, 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 and hopefully the answer is yes. And if so, what is it and what, what makes you excited? You know, um, I guess my first reaction to this question is that, you know, I, I know you probably want me to name draft you know, a, a technology that people might not be aware of that, you know, they need to, to look at. And, um, you know, the, the reality is there's just all these open source projects that, you know, continue to arrive. Uh, and Ted Dunning, um, who's uh, chief application architect here at MapR and is VP of uh, Software Incubator at Apache Software Foundation, I mean, He's constantly talking about new technologies. There's two new technologies that have arrived this week. I mean, it's hard to keep track of, of everything. Um, but I, I'm going to pull back a little bit, and, and I think that we need to move beyond the focus on, you know, what's the next technology and, you know, technology. The separate silos. Um, that exist in the organization today. And I think that more attention needs to be focused on ultimately what is the platform approach for an organization and, and how do you drive agility? Because some of the technologies do a tremendous amount but actually make it possible for companies to be less responsive and, and you know, have to prep data in a certain way. So it's more about kind of that platform and that data agility. And I think some of the, some of the container technologies, um, you know, are, are, are really promising, you know, Kubernetes and Docker and just all of the, the flexibility that that provides in terms of where you process data and how you take advantage. And I think moving well beyond to support stateful applications that Drive Analytics as part of those containerized apps is is going to be transformational. We've got customers that are there now, and we've got many other customers that are looking at what is their path. And um, for 2017, I think that's the um, that's kind of the the, the exciting uh, exciting area that will continue to pay dividends um, because every new technology that arrives then can be leveraged in a very flexible and agile manner. Well, so let me, if it's okay, let me pursue that a little bit because you you hit on something. It's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine, to be honest. Um, and you didn't call it out explicitly, but I think I think you were still thinking about it. And that is that is sort of the notion of um, of fragmentation versus versus integration. And you're right. Kind of at the beginning, we had you know we were talking about individual projects and and products, and we were, you know, we were in kind of a siloed reality to some extent. We still are, but it's you know it's moderating and it's and it's mitigating. But what about the value of you know providing a platform, providing a suite, 
that takes a lot of these sort of atoms of innovation and, and puts them together in whole molecules that people can use. Is that, is that, is that a map R credo to some extent? Is it a, is it a market need? Um, do you get, do you get, do you get cranky about it the way I do that, <laughs> that there's not enough of it? Like what's, uh, What's your experience of all of that? Yeah, I, I think, um, look, it's, it's about driving these innovations, and increasingly it's, it's, it's not just about convenience because you can collapse things together. It's, it's really about removing latencies and delays. And, mm -hmm. you know, to, to take analytics away from the back room, from the historical perspective in terms of what happened to the business, and integrating it so that it's actually impacting the business as it happens, latency is the foe. And mm -hmm. that requires a very flexible, robust platform that can, can treat data from many different sources um, as first-class citizens and provide a lot of processing flexibility together on, on that platform. And then it, it comes down to, so how do you best bring the different tools and, and utilities and processing to it. And there it's, I think it's, what are the open APIs? How do you make sure that that platform supports this broad open ecosystem? And that's where our approach has been just adamant to, to make sure that, you know, it's industry standards. And if there's an industry standard that's not present and prevalent, how do we drive that? So the open JSON application interface, OHI, is a great example of, a, of now a, an open API and an industry standard to help drive the document database, which I think is, is a little bit underappreciated how important that is so that you don't have fixed data models that, that require a lot of delay and setup um, before you can take advantage of, of, of the data. So again, kind of uh, a big group of topics that, that are kind of bundled within that, but I think that starting with the data first and then bringing the processing to that, whether it's machine learning, whether it's, um, you know, analysis or whether it's, you know, legacy applications that, that exist today and, and making sure that they can run alongside with, with the latest sure. and greatest but, sure, and I don't know if this was intentional, but you mentioned Ted Dunning, and he's involved now in this project called Arrow, which is all about making sure that there is a data-first approach, in this case, to representing columnar data in memory, and instead of having 11 different open source projects, each kind of create their own little standard for doing that, you know, they've, they've, there's, there's, uh, that there's cooperation and and uh, an interaction there, so that they're working to the same standard, and it's to get rid of the precisely the latencies that I think you were talking about. So uh, maybe you didn't want to mention a specific open <laughs> source technology, but I I think no, that's great. Actually, you know, that's <laughs> that, that's a great example. Yeah, yeah. That's why I like doing these with you. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, it's easy when I get to learn from others. So, um, well, you, so you've already kind of spoken to this being a theme in in 2017, and maybe we can uh, we can uh, point ourselves towards the finish line here. If you had um, ideas about 
uh, other predictions for the for the short term for this year for 2017. And uh, if you you know depending on how um, on uh, what kind of swagger you feel you feel like you're working with today, wh- whether you uh, want to take a gander at what we might even see, let's say three, four, or five years from now. Well, I think it's. Um you know, we talked a little bit about data first. I think that's really going to fuel a lot of the activities in 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 2017. I think it's where it's much more about it's much more about the business value. It's not let's collect it and throw it in a lake and then come analyze it later. It's more how are you actually driving business results with the data. So much more of a focus on on the flow of the data lake and kind of the 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 kind of real time arrival of that data. So I think that's a that's a big area that in, involves streams and in, it involves uh, more of the machine learning. I think um, I think that'll be a, a big part of 2017. And um, you know we talked about Ted. Ted's done a lot on on machine learning and and some of these um, straightforward algorithms um, coupled with with uh, large data sources can have some incredible commercial impacts and of effects. And that's a, a different trend than historically has been done in kind of the AI machine learning, you know, data science world where it's who, who can have the most complex model and, and the ones that, uh, you know, have the most academic cred. And here we're talking about some of those that are more straightforward that are able to get incredible results on, on a repeatable, fast basis. Um, and I think we'll, we'll start to hear more about that and those approaches with, with uh, machine learning. So I, I, think, I think it's, it's – the turning point is going to be clear in 2017 and a lot of the – a lot of the historical approaches with respect to – how we govern the data, how we looked at lineage, how we um, kept the metadata completely separate and curated, and there was a lot of time between when data was collected until it was ready for analysis. That's where the pressure point's going to be in 2017 with, with a new, uh, almost ruthless focus on how do you eliminate those delays and how do you eliminate the, that prep work to drive this, um, you know, these these new business processes and these new integrated analytic and operation applications. Absolutely, and I, I, there too, I think you you've alluded to something um, really important, which is, you know, when when a technology is in its infancy, we tend to impress each other by how hard it is, and and but how we you know how we wrestled it and and honed it to to produce a great result, and where it really starts getting a multiplier of power and impact is when we talk about how easy it is, not trivial, not you know not not to the point where it, there's no value in it, obviously. But to the point where you know putting putting it to use is not the hard part, and uh, and we can almost you know we can almost take that for granted and then and then build on top of that and uh, yeah I think I, I think, I think there's a there's a window ahead. opening up for those organizations that might not have started first 
but have mm-hmm. an opening now to kind of move in, take advantage of some of the latest innovations, you know, take advantage of this, this convergence, um, you know, the converged data and bring processing to that and be able to leapfrog and, and you know, then maintain a lead going forward. And that window is not going to be open for, for very long. And, um, you know, the longer organizations delay, then they're going to be um, behind and, and trying to catch up. And that's, you know, the, the speed of this industry, the speed of this technology, uh, catching up is hard to do. All right. So then 2017 is an opportunity in that respect, and that's probably a, a great place for us to conclude. Um, Jack, thank you very much. I, I hope we can, you know, invite you back five more times to talk about <laughs> each one of these in, uh, in, in detail and isolation. But uh, since that probably won't happen, I'll thank you very much for um, covering such a, such a broad scope of stuff in, in one conversation a day. And, and hopefully we will, we will have subsequent chances to talk more. Oh, well, thank, thank you very much, Andrew. It's a real, real pleasure to, to be on the show. All right. Thank you. And thanks. Thank you all for listening.